Hello, I'm Chris Mayer. In the previous podcast, I described war as both a legal construct and a concept that predates any such codification of law. I propose defining the concept of war as an act of violence in concert with other elements of national power, creating conditions intolerable to our opponent and thereby compelling him to accept our terms for a lasting peace consistent with our national interests and values. Mao Zedong, in his Problems of Strategy in China's Revolutionary War, believed that understanding the nature of war was necessary to learn the natural laws of war, those precepts or rules which we can derive from observation and the use of reason. These natural laws of war may vary in application, but are applicable everywhere at all times. These rules are the subject of this podcast of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Before I go on, as a warning, I'm not saying that any of these natural laws are what armed conflict should be. It's simply what war is, was, and continues to be. Clausewitz wrote, No one starts a war, or rather, no one in his senses ought to do so, without first being clear in his mind what he intends to achieve by that war and how he intends to conduct it. Once that end state, method, and means are identified, the natural laws of war should affect the decision to go to war and its further planning, and will affect its execution. These laws include, first, young men die, the enemy's young men, and your young men, and in this century, your young women too. This isn't just unavoidable, it's necessary. General Colin Powell noted at the end of the last century, and Hugo Grotius three centuries before that, that it's violence and death that makes more unique and different from other forms of international intercourse. Second, non-combatants and other civilians also die. The just war tradition demands that we take reasonable steps to avoid this. And for this reason, the Geneva Conventions call such non-combatants protected persons. Actions that target the enemy's military force may sometimes lead to the unintended death of non-combatants. Even the first additional protocol to the Geneva Conventions recognizes this. Protecting protected persons in such a way that also protects the enemy's armed forces has the negative effect of prolonging the war and, in the end, increasing the overall human cost of the war. Third, overwhelming force will achieve a decision sooner and is therefore more humanitarian. This may seem counterintuitive. In the 1992 National Military Strategy, General Powell noted that military history demonstrates that overwhelming force actually results in fewer casualties on both sides than a war fought with unnecessary restraint. War is not about a fair fight among equals. As Sun Tzu said, it's about winning quickly and decisively. And this is the heart of the concepts of both military necessity and humanitarianism. So the concept of overwhelming force, however, does have its limits. Writing in the aftermath of the Thirty Years' War, Hugo Grotius noted that excessive force can actually have negative consequences. The difference between overwhelming and what's unnecessary or excessive 
can be difficult to judge. Therefore, it follows from this that the fourth law is that the means and methods used in war are not unrestricted. This is a fundamental principle of the law of war and is closely related to the concepts of honor and chivalry. These concepts will be at the heart of a future podcast, as will the relationship of military necessity and humanitarianism. The law of war, or at least as it was before the post-World War II period, was written by practitioners of war alongside of international jurists. Therefore, this fundamental principle is also fundamentally practical. As I said a minute ago, unnecessary violence or disproportionate force can be counterproductive. Grotius and the just war theory agree that overly destructive violence can destroy whatever positive benefit was sought by going to war in the first place. It can also incite a primordial hatred that will strengthen the enemy resistance now and make it impossible to achieve a lasting peace afterwards. This rule does not mean that we seek to defeat the enemy without harm or bloodshed. To repeat Clausewitz's statement on this from the last podcast, war is such a dangerous business that mistakes which come from kindness are the very worst. Such mistakes prolong the war and offer opportunities the enemy can use against you. Sun Tzu said there is no instance of a country having benefited from prolonged warfare, while two millennia later Clausewitz noted that so long as your enemy remains undefeated, there's always a chance that he may defeat you. The overriding consideration in the means and methods of warfare should be, as Machiavelli recommended, to be feared without being hated. Fifth, only the enemy knows when he is defeated. Although you can define victory, the enemy will define his defeat. Even when the objectives are clear and the necessary combat power with other elements of national power is available, it will never cost what either side expects. Destroying the measurable component of combat power is only part of victory or defeat. The will to fight for either side is difficult to assess, but it is the most important factor so long as one side has any means to fight at all. Expect the war to last longer and cost more than originally calculated. Sixth, there is no such thing as a purely military solution. Previous podcasts on the nature of war and hybrid war emphasize Clausewitz's famous, if misquoted, statement that war is a continuation of policy with the addition of other means. A successful war strategy incorporates all means and methods of national power. Diplomacy continues, even with the enemy. Talking and fighting works better than fighting alone. Information, information technology, and economic tools not only enhance military capability, they can drive other lines of operations to achieve the war's objectives and secure the peace. All elements of national power must work together in synergy to achieve the desired outcome with the greatest efficiency and achieve the true objective of war, a just and lasting peace. Seventh, the result in war is never final. 
Clausewitz noted that an opponent may stop fighting or seem to accede to the other's demands to gain time or a position of advantage and then resume fighting later. Winning the peace is even more important than winning the war. The opponents must not only agree to peace, they must want an enduring peace. These natural laws of war are observable and applicable throughout history. It's not a matter of choosing to follow them. They describe war as it is and always has been. There may seem to be examples where unlimited application of military power and military unique solutions have carried the day. Real success, however, is another matter. History demonstrates that any success gained while ignoring any of these rules will be difficult and any victory will be temporary. So why is any of this of any importance to you? Well, it shouldn't surprise you, but war does not always result from a rational act on the part of governments. In fact, the historical record is rather poor in that regard. Decisions to go to war sometimes disregard the natural laws of war. From Sun Tzu to Machiavelli, from Clausewitz to Colin Powell, military theorists observe that political leaders do not always direct war in a manner consistent with the logic of war, or sometimes without any apparent logic at all. The result is never good. Senior military officers know the nature and logic of war and must provide their best military advice to political leaders based on that understanding. At the end, however, they must execute the decisions of those political leaders. Each of us, as citizens of a republic, should understand these fundamental natural laws of war and be on alert when anyone proposes to use military force, especially if political leaders attempt to ignore or trivialize any of them. We must be vigilant to demand accountability and rational decisions of our political leaders in the conduct of war. The podcasts that follow will describe how modern warfare still follows these ancient natural laws, rules, or precepts. I close by returning to Mao Zedong and his problems of strategy in China's Revolutionary War. He wrote, Unless you understand the actual circumstances of war, its nature, and other things, you will not know the laws of war, or how to direct war, or be able to win a victory.